This episode of the Filmmaker Mixer podcast is sponsored by Reed's Cleaners in Austin, Texas. We launder everything but money. This episode is also sponsored by Piers Henry Headshots, shining the spotlight on you. Welcome to the Filmmaker Mixer podcast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined alongside my co-host, Jeff, as always. This week, we have on a special effects artist, director, and producer. That is Joe Castro. Joe talks about his mentors, how he got into the business, and his creative process of creating visual effects for movies. Hello, everybody. This is the Filmmaker Mixer podcast, and today we are chatting with Joe Castro. Joe is a director, a producer, a special effects wizard. He started his career at the young age of 15. He's won over 46 awards in producing, directing, creating special effects. Uh, Welcome to the show, Mr. Joe Castro. Well, hello, everyone, and uh, thanks for having me on the show, Jeff, Andrew. It's good to be here. You know, one of the things we always like to talk about with our guests uh, is, you know, what inspired them to get into this industry. And I was watching another interview with you, and it sounds like your path was a lot like both Andrew and my path in the sense that, you know, we grew up making films with our friends, with our our cameras, and just getting our buddies out there and, and shooting movies. And it sounded like you did the same thing. So tell me what got you interested in making films and particularly doing Uh, special effects you know what happened was my father sat me down in front of the television in 1977 and uh he was babysitting me over you know he was taking care of me over the weekend while my mother was was gone for the weekend and he said son watch this you're going to like it you know and my father was my biggest supporter and he understood the things that i liked he uh paid very close attention to me and uh you know he was uh very proud of the little bit of talent that I showed already at the age of seven. And um, he was right. I did like what he showed me. It was Godzilla versus the smog monster. It was uh, it was a afternoon, Saturday afternoon creature feature. And uh, it was there in San Antonio, Texas. They, they played it every Saturday and he, he knew about it. And he knew for at least two hours, I would be able to sit and be entertained and he wouldn't have to, he wouldn't have to watch me while he went off to do what he needed to do. Uh, you know, working on the ranch. And um, when the movie was over, you know, that movie, Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, is um, it kind of like encompasses all of the techniques of special effects for that time. You know, it had, uh, you know, men in creature costumes. It had miniatures, obviously, explosions, fire. It even had prosthetics. There were people that got like burned from this acid, uh, this acid, these acid fumes that the Smog Monster emitted. And they, their their bodies turned into like skeletons and they like dissolved away. So there was a kind of like, you know, every aspect of um, of special effects in that movie. There was also rotoscoping, of course, but Godzilla's breath and whatnot. And uh, when that movie was over, I was like, Dad, how do they do that? And he's <laughs> like, um, like, that's special effects, son. You know, and we uh, we watched the credits together. He came in and he showed me and he showed me like the man's name and how it said special effects there. So that that, that man right there, that's the one who did it. And uh, I said, Dad, that's what I want to do. You know, that's what I want to do when I grow up. And uh, I've never looked back. You know, that was that was it. I don't think I've ever had any sort of course, the the, the any sort of direction that's been changed since then. And everything uh, I did from that moment on somehow encompassed or re- revolved around pursuing that career. You know, whether it be the people I spoke to, the events I went to the uh classes i took in school the people I hung around uh you know all this stuff how i you know how i spent all my extra money 
all this kind of stuff went directly to my career. Well, I remember when I got my first camera and made my first little short film when I was like nine years old. And then uh, my dad checked out a camera from the media department at the college he worked at. And then later I got a camera for, for my birthday. And it was just this amazing moment to have that camera. I think that you were given a gift as a camera and then went out and started shooting. I'm curious what that was like for you. And what was the first thing you went out and, and shot with that camera? Huh, that's a great question. Uh, well, you know, um, I was uh, 12 years old when I got a video camera. This was 1982, and uh, everything was very different back then. But I, I immediately tried to to, to shoot a you know a, a, like a like a like a movie you know like a small movie, and I guess I was in what uh, 1982. I was in seventh grade. Oh wow! Seventh grade, eighth grade, uh, tw- 10, 10, 10 is fifth grade, eleven is sixth grade, twelve is seventh grade. So I think that's correct. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. No, I think that's right. And um, so I was in theater. I was in a theater class in seventh grade, and. Uh, I asked my uh, friends in theater class to come over to the ranch and uh, I try to put together, I try to shoot a, like a little short film, a short movie, uh, like in a, on a Saturday afternoon. And of course, you try to get seven uh, or, or, or like five, seven year, uh, 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 seventh graders to do anything, you know, like you know, play, play fair and do anything. Uh, and, and especially with something as precise as shooting a shot or making a film. And you know it was it was it was it didn't it didn't work. <laughs> Turned this way, it didn't work out, and uh, <laughs> I, I never got that that first one shot. But I did uh, meet a friend of mine who's still one, who's still my, my my one of my best friends today. In fact, I just spoke to him earlier today. His name is Kevin Williams, and he lived like a mile and a half up the street from me, and um, he was just as interested in horror movies as I was. And um, I met him on the school bus coming home. You know, I was like. Uh, uh, we, we were talking. I said, I got this video camera. He said, I got a video camera. <laughs> and I said, uh, oh, we need to make a movie. And uh, we did. I, we, 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 we made a, we, we, we shot a movie uh, for all, like a full year. It's, it's called The Year of Terror. And for every holiday, we shot a little short film. And we put together a full feature. Oh, wow. And, yeah, we put it together. Full, in fact, my, my husband just uploaded it to Vimeo yesterday from the Half Inch Master that I had for uh for Ke- Ke- Kevin to to have a copy and the download and uh, it's great. oh I'd love yeah. to see that that sounds awesome I'll, I'll send you a link uh, there's, <laughs> there's, there's some really cool stuff in fact some of the stuff we did in that was so innovative for for someone so young I mean I'm still impressed I think it's more entertaining than, than half the stuff I do these days so yeah yeah I'm curious you know um doing films and for so long. And anyone who's ever had a chance to work on films knows, you know, 99 out of 100 times, it never goes perfect, whether it be something going wrong on the day on a shoot. And I'm curious, when it comes to your practical effects, if there was a certain infamous day you can recall in your memory where something did not go right and you just had to think on your feet and how you resolved it. Mm, That's a good question. Well, you know, I would like to answer that by saying that... um, I don't think I've ever been aware of that uh, as I moved through my career. Uh, as far as something not going right, you know, one time I was doing a practical effect, effect on a movie shoot where it just, some of this stuff is like science. There's no, nothing creative about it, right? It's just science. And um, when when I don't get the, when I don't get the, the, what I need to make the science happen, it doesn't happen. 
And so I really don't really consider it my fault or anybody's fault. And normally the director understands, you know, people understand, you know, it's, it's, it's just, uh, but, but uh, we don't really work that way in the movie industry. <laughs> it, it has to happen. There, there are no, <laughs> there, it's not like, oh, well, you win some, you lose some. No, it doesn't work like that. You are paid to do a job. And when you show up, you make it happen. And um, I, I normally come with a couple of options, you know, so that way I'm not that way. I'm not left with, oh, this is all we got, you know. And um, also, I when I'm whenever I'm preparing for a special effect, I work very closely with the director and the producers. I don't surprise them. <laughs> I never <laughs> I, I don't show up on set and go, oh, this is what we're doing. You know, I, I'm, I'm I'm always very I send them pictures. I design the piece with them. I tell them how I'm going to do it. Um, and uh, so there, there's really no surprises. Now, it's taking me, you know, 40 years of my career to get that comfortable and doing all this perfectly or in a way that's very um, uh, consistent. But that's kind of how I've always moved into through my career, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 when I like to, you know, preface my work, especially if I'm not given a lot of time to do stuff on these low budget films, you know, like one time I was going to do this, uh, special effect makeup job that where a man was going to melt and he was going to melt inside of the uh, bathroom of an airplane <laughs> having sex with a girl who was a demon. The girl was going to make him melt, and um, the it was, a, it was a big budget film. It was like over a million dollars, and there was a big name talent in it. Bill Mosley was in it, and Bailene was in it, and uh, you know everybody was in it from the horror genre. And um, I said uh, the producer said, "How much time do you need to do the the effect show?" And I said, oh, "I'm going to need about two hours to do you know the different layers and stages." He said, uh, the producer looked at me, he says, Joe, you've got 15 minutes. Oh, wow. Wow. I said, why? He said, because the actor has to leave to LAX to get on an airplane. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, like that would be a situation where. So, so what did you do? You know, what did you do? How did you, well, how did you. <laughs> well, so what, what I did was. You really I, melted I, her. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so what I did was instead of like, you know, having to, having to have time to like do appliances that have different stages of. Of melting and whatnot i went to the craft service table and I, one of my my greatest mentors his name is herschel gordon lewis and i'll talk with you a little bit more about him later on but herschel gordon lewis showed me how to do this i went over to the craft service table and i got a cup of coffee some creamer uh some ketchup some you know got my fake blood i got salad dressing and i got and i mixed up these different cups of like melted flesh and like like different say, like, yeah, like different, different stages yeah yeah different stages. oh interesting and action and i poured the stuff on his head and, like, and, you know, <laughs> and the next blah. and like and of course as i was doing it the um the, the, there's this like unspoken um hatred between special effects artists and makeup artists that want to be special effects artists on movies oh sets. interesting and it's unspoken and um the all the special effects make it there was like a team of like i think there were like five makeup artists handling all the women on the movie set and there was just me and my assistant doing doing my work and of course they were they were livid that i made it work and <laughs> as i and, and as i was doing it 
they were like, you can't put that on his face. That salad dressing, it's got vinegar in it. It'll burn his eyes. <laughs> you can't put that blood on his face. It's got sugar in it. It's just straight, you know, and I'm like, I'm like pouring it on the actor and he's like having a great time and everybody's shooting it. And they're like trying to like stop it from happening. And oh, uh, of course, so I had one main appliance that I had made uh, specifically for the effect that was like this face going, uh, you know, and so I didn't have time to blend it. So what I did was I put spray glue on the back of it. He already had like pancake syrup and salad dressing and, you know, a blue cheese dressing on his face. I went up and just stuck it on his face and poured more blow over the top of it. And it looked amazing. And they shot it. And um, when it was done, the, the producer came over to me and said, thank you, Joe. You're the only person I know who could have done that and done it well. Thank you. You know, that is so though, cool. Even though all these people were trying to like, no, you know, like, you know, it's like you're trying to do your best work and there's some jealous MF like over there, like poking at you the whole time, trying to stop you from doing good stuff. It happens all the time. You know, it happens all the time. Uh, and you just got to roll with it. You just got to just, you know, <laughs> you know, but uh, I think, that, yeah, that comes with like 40 years of experience. So I don't know if I would have been able to handle that like 20 years earlier. But yeah, it was, it was good times. That's that's funny because my friend um, Todd Spencer, who I grew up with, he had that kind of imagination, and he ended up doing uh, effects with Sony ImageWorks for a long time. And I think guys like you and and Todd, you just have this genius way of looking at the world and saying, "I can make this happen," and on film, it's gonna look it's gonna look amazing. And I think that's really cool. It sounds like you were that kind of kid growing up. Well, you know, growing up in Helotus, Texas, I didn't have anybody. It was Kevin and I didn't have anyone to gauge whether or not what we were doing was not appropriate or wrong or didn't look right. No one told us that. So we were, we just did whatever we wanted and we enjoyed it, you know, which was a total blessing. If you think about it, yeah. we didn't have anybody telling us, no, you can't do that. You know? And we, we, we did it. We, we, we were able to do some amazing things. I'm still super proud of all the stuff that we sh shot as a uh, 15 year olds and 16, 17 year olds. <laughs> and, uh, I always pull it out and show people and they're blown away by some of the stuff we've done. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a perfect segue into the next question, which is, do you have a preference between practical or digital effects? And I'm curious how you decide which one you'll use at any given moment. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I prefer to shoot everything practically. And then if there is some sort of element that needs to be composited or, you know, com comp compositing in a, and digitally, uh, then I will composite the elements together or um, augment them or enhance them with digital effects. But back in the day, in you know, whenever they were doing rotoscoping and compositing, that's what they would do. That's what Star Wars did. They shot the ship, then they shot the person and put the person in the ship. And now we put the person in the ship digitally. So you, you, you're not creating anything in the computer. You're combining them with the computer using the tool, which is which is the perfect way to do it. In fact, um, I recently did a, a, a decapitation for a movie. Uh, it's called Saint Drogo, which is an amazing film. If you're not into like hardcore, dark, brutal horror, you will not like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's, I just saw it last night. It gave me nightmares. Oh, I wow. Worked, I worked on the film. It's called Saint Drogo, and it's uh, D-R-O-G-O. And it's uh, produced uh, by a group of men up in... Um, uh, what did it say, uh, Provincetown uh, up there in uh, Massachusetts or somewhere up there. You're going to hate me for not remembering. I'm terrible with names. And um, Brandon and Ryan and Mike 
Uh, there, there were three directors on the film. Brandon wrote it and um, Brandon Miller. And um, there's a scene where a man gets decapitated in the film and they wanted to do it practically. But you really can't get a practical head to do too much. You know, maybe may have a mouth like maybe slightly open and closed or something. So I decided that I would digitally put the actor's eyes onto the fake head. So at least oh, I can roll around, you know, so you get this. So it's this beautiful blend between the two. I hope they don't mind me saying that, but, uh, uh, you know, it's a great. That's, that's really smart. That's really it's, smart. Yeah, it's a great effect. It works very well. And um, there's a lot of little stuff in this film that's like that, that really helps take everything to the next level. So if you get a chance to see St. Drogo and you're a hardcore horror fan, I absolutely guarantee that you'll love it uh very brutal very bloody and uh it's a it's it's a good film it's a really good film something i'm very proud of on another show we were talking to actress rebecca kennedy and one of my questions for her was you know when you read a script and you see a character's dialogue and screen direction you know you as an actor have to make that character visual come to life with you know body language and movement and so forth and and i have that same question to you in terms of effects and this might pertain more to to a script that's brought to you rather than something you've created on your own, because I imagine when you're creating something on your own, you already have ideas in your head. But I remember reading, I think this is true, that John Landis's uh, American Werewolf in London, the script just said, man turns into werewolf, right? And then they came up with this iconic scene. I'm curious, when you read a script, what is your process from reading it on the page and making it come to life? Well, I, I want to address something that you, you mentioned first about the script, John Landis' script. Now, I can't say for certain, but it's my understanding, and I could be wrong, that the transformation sequence in that movie was already completely designed and created by oh, before, Rick before Baker, the before the script was even done. Oh, interesting. By, by Rob Bottin and Rick Baker for another film called The Howling. Oh, is that right? They, they were working together. In fact, Rick Baker did a, a design of the werewolf for the for The Howling. And, uh, and and uh, and uh, John Landis, who directed American Wolf of London, uh, didn't have it together. And they began working on The Howling. And uh, I'm sure the reason why it was written that way is because they didn't want people who got the script to be able to read it and have that information out into the world so someone else could take it. Because it was so top secret. Ah, makes sense. So, you know, uh, but that's just my understanding. Now, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. And um, but then, you know, uh, I know that uh, John Landis did convince Rick to to come work on the film and left Rob to do the howling. And um, I love both of the transformations. I, I uh, but I, I, I prefer uh, the howling because the howling was the first. And uh, I think it's darker than, than than the other one. And it's kind of it's kind of more of a guilty pleasure. It goes on a lot longer <laughs> and it's you know, it, it literally goes on. It's quite long, actually. It goes on a lot, a lot longer and it's it's darker and it's kind of more evil, you know, so, so, sure. I, so I, I kind of like that. But to answer your question, uh, the best directors I work with will um, sit with me and uh, I'll go over the, uh, the effects breakdown with them and we will discuss what they need. And then I will discuss what I'd like to do. And um, most of the times, the most amazing directors I work with, they don't even, they don't, you know, they won't even tell me anything unless I ask um, because they know that if I give them what they need or what they want, they might miss out on something that's amazing. 
you know, they're wearing so many hats sometimes right. that uh, sometimes it's best to uh, to let Joe do his own thing. But I, I, I will always come to them with a, with a design and show them what I'm going to be doing. I, I don't ever, I don't ever uh, like just say, oh, okay, I'm going to surprise you. I don't do that. Don't so know. when you say, when you say they let you know what they need, do you mean, um, do you mean for like the, the, the emotion of that scene or do you, you know, we're trying they to hit this moment, this beat of, or you... all, all of it. All, everything. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. They needed to look like this. They needed to be, you know, the, the actor we've cast looks like this. So it needs to kind of be like this. The actor is going to be wearing this kind of costume. So this needs to happen. Or my job as a special effects artist is not to be a great special effects artist. My job as a special effects artist is to go into the mind of the director and extract what he sees so it fits into his film. Oh, interesting. And 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 ultimately, my job is to make my boss's job easier and to make my boss look cool. I can do that. <laughs> I'm done just fine. You know what I mean? That's my job, you know? Um, and however, whatever tools I use to get there, it does not matter, just as long as those are the points I'm hitting, you know? Right. Taking Jeff's question one step further now, from a director standpoint, let's say you're directing a project that has a creature in it. I'm curious uh, how you would portray the creature visually. Are you someone who thinks the less that's shown, the scarier, or those, or love those big reveal shots? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I things evolve over the years. Things have evolved. Uh, it depends what kind of what kind of project it is. You know, uh, if I'm doing something that's very serious, I think less is more less is better you know i like shadow i like high contrast when it comes to rubber creatures and this kind of thing uh, showing a creature in broad daylight i think can be a complete no-no um and uh of course it, it does happen and uh sometimes uh, you know i'll show up on a set and we're shooting day for night and they're shooting it in overcast day and i'm like you know this was this was never intended to be shot in, in daylight but there it is you know and uh you, you just uh, hope for the best and uh Hope they cover the angles really good, but uh, you know, I I I, I kind of like all that uh, old school eighty stuff where they show you bits and pieces of the monster and then the big reveal at the very end. You know, uh, if you give it all the way up front, you know, it's like, you know, it's like a stripper walking out completely naked. You know, it's like big deal. You know, the show the show's over. <laughs> very big, the show's <laughs> over. You know, and um, and a lot a lot of people do that these days. You know, you got like. You got like these all these independent filmmakers that shoot a movie and like li literally the day they're shooting a film, they're showing you everything on online. You're like, OK, big deal. OK, so you made another one of these. Yeah. You know, they just throw it all up there for free. Like, why would I want to pay for it if you're giving it away for free online? We've got to talk about the summer of massacre. So <laughs> in 2011, you released this film. It won a bunch of awards. You won the Guinness Book of World Records for highest body count in a slasher film i think i think that's correct right and um which was like 150 160 kills something like that 155 Did, kills 100, yeah. <laughs> down to the 155 so was that your goal when you came with this idea i just want to have the highest body count ever or did that just evolve naturally i, I just how did that happen how did that project happen yeah yeah that was a fun project um something i'm still very proud of uh, I did set out to set a Guinness Book of World Record when I made that film, and it was a big task. I didn't do it by myself. It took uh, many people to put, pull that off, and um, the movie was made over a period of two years. And um, uh, you know, um, I, I no no one had a copy of the script, a full complete copy, uh, and uh, I only gave out 
the portions of it to people who needed and what parts because I didn't want anybody to know what we were doing until it was done and uh, have it be a big surprise. And, um, you know, it's all about planning and um, executing and um, uh, the, the manpower. You know, my husband, Stephen Escobar, was an integral part of that. Of course, also was my friend Schroeder um, who helped uh, get the body count up. And uh, it's a big it's a big uh, it's a big effort. It takes it's it's a lot more than just completing the film to do something like that. There's a lot of specs that have to be hit, and um, there were many people involved. So yeah, when I when I when I started making the film, that was my intention, and uh, you know we just uh, saw through to the end, and um, very proud of it. Well, I've never met a, a a record holder from the Guinness Book. How so? Once you did the film, how do they? Uh... What did you contact Guinness or how, I mean, how does, how, how did you get the award? How did that yeah, happen? Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's a whole process that, uh, that you go through uh, with Guinness. And to be honest with you, I didn't handle any of it. That was a whole, that was a whole other department of people that handled that. And uh, uh, it was, uh, like I said, it was a big undertaking. And um, I believe, you know, that there's uh, a whole like, you know, fact finding bit of information that has to be done and uh there are other people in the actual movie industry that were actually involved in the process that had to verify things about the film in order to make it happen people like that were part of the directors uh directors guild and and whatnot it wasn't simply just us going hey can we get an award (laughs) yeah no it was it was it was kind of a big undertaking yeah that's crazy. That's that's really cool. So you've done so many projects. This might be a hard question to answer, but you know, when you look back, was there one effect or one creature or one thing you did that's like, man, that's that's my favorite. Do you have a favorite, or is that just, or, or do you have multiple favorites of of work you've done? Yes and no. I mean, no, I don't have a favorite. Every time I make something new now, I think there's just a another level of my skill set on top of the next one on top of the next one so each one i make is and this is my favorite for the month or my favorite for the for the year or whatever but uh uh i there's just so much that that i've done in the past that have made other people feel amazing you know i think i mean bottom line it's like we're not going to be remembered for the goals that we've accomplished but we will be remembered for how we make other people feel when we leave this planet and sure. uh you know you can have like a slew of awards and no one's going to remember what they were, but you can, uh, if you make, if you change someone's life or make someone feel amazing, you know, they'll talk about that and they'll, they'll remember that about you, you know, and share that. So, you know, this is the stuff that I, I don't even know where to begin. Like, you know, I remember this, this is one extremely lovely lady. Her name is Eva Hamilton. She's an actress and she um, is just drop dead gorgeous, super talented girl, young girl and young woman. And um, I had to do an effect on her on a movie that has not yet been released. So I can't, I can't even tell you the title of it, but I had to literally rip off one side of her body, all the skin off her, of her body. And it was going to be very intense, very uncomfortable, very horrific. And when I put the makeup on her, she, you know, she, of course she couldn't see it. She, I was covering up side of her face, blah, 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 this, there was no mirror in the room. And I, I took a picture to show her and she, felt amazing wearing it you know it's like (laughs) so disgusting she's like i'm so amazed by this joke and i that that just you know that made me feel awesome but stuff like that really gets to me you know stuff like that really gets to me for young filmmakers particularly those that 
have an interest in special effects, what would be your best advice you can give them on how they should try to break into the business? Would it be similar to how you did it or different uh, as times change? Mm, that's a good question. How would I, what would I recommend to young filmmakers of how they could break into the business? You know, there's a lot of things that you can do. I don't know which one's going to work for you because I don't know what your skill set is and how you know good you are at what you do. Um, of course, who you know means everything, but how you treat others is even more important. And um, there are people I know that are miserable that are at the top. Uh, so it doesn't matter how high you climb, but uh, how you get there. You know, uh, going to events like movie premieres or working with others, uh, taking an interest in somebody else's career, uh, you know, being social on social media helps. Um, notice I pointed out being actually being social, you know. Of course, I said who you know is very important, but eventually you're going to have to put out. You're going to have to show up and do something amazing, even though you may know a whole bunch of people. Remain teachable. So uh, just remain teachable, you know. Be social, be, uh, be, be, be aware of what you're doing. Don't step on people as you climb ahead and, uh, and uh, take some classes and um, perfect your craft. Yeah, I heard um, someone giving some advice once and they said, uh, make sure that you're always in beta. You're always testing. You're always learning. You're never, you, you know, what you learn today, you'll learn something new tomorrow. I think that's good advice. That makes sense. So I want to pivot back to your first feature ceremony, because we get asked this a lot from from filmmakers, you know, how do you get that project off the ground, that first film? And that was your first feature. How did you get that project going and, and financed and made and sold? Um, you can give me the long story or the short story version. I'm just curious how you got it going. Yeah, well, that, it was a different time. It was 1993. And we, sure. any, any movie that was an actual movie was being shot on 35 millimeter right film and um you know yeah it's a it was it took me three years to make that film i was shot on 35 millimeter panavision and my director of photography was uh, uh steven gainer uh he's now a professional major motion picture cinematographer and uh he uh w you know we were we were friends we had we had shot some um some um some micro budget uh, videos together. And um, he shot a, uh, a short film that I made called blood fetish. And it was a shot on a wind up 60 millimeter Bolex camera. And he had knowledge of film. Anyway, it was a wind up <laughs> Bolex camera. And uh, it was like a camera that had been used in like world war two or Probably. something he bought. I don't know. It was something crazy like that. Maybe I'm over exaggerating, but I know it was a little wind up Bolex camera and he shot it in my first apartment in Los Angeles. So he had knowledge of film. He worked at Paramount Pictures in the photo lab department, and uh, he acquired a whole bunch of uh, 35 millimeter short ends uh, for free uh, because uh, whenever they shoot television shows, they should shoot them on film. And at the end of the day, if there was film loaded in a camera and it hadn't been used, they would literally take that film and they'd remove it, and then they would put it in a fridge somewhere and they'd sell it, sell it as a thing called short ends. And eventually the whole fridge would be would be um, filled up with short ends and the ones that were out of date, they'd have to throw away. And then they put the next ones in. So he all everything they threw away, he'd bring home, put it in his own fridge. And we shot a whole feature film with that, with that, with that film. And back then, Blockbuster Home Video would pay 150 grand up front for, for a feature film. So if you made a movie for 
fifty thousand dollars, then made a hundred grand. See? Wow, it was a very different time. So I made the we we shot the movie for um seventy five thousand dollars, and we made uh we I, I, we made back the money. We doubled the money for our producers, and um and that was just for Blockbuster, and it was yeah, that's how the first one got done. You know, we 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 shot it over a period of fourteen days, and uh, we shot it on Panavision. Uh, he had uh, someone at Panavision that he knew that uh, allowed us to get the camera. We had we had to pay for insurance on the camera, and uh, we cast it here in Los Angeles. Everybody got paid a little something, and uh, it was uh, it's a it's a beautiful film. In fact, we um, I was just looking at the master the other day, and um, hopefully we'll get a we'll get a, a new release of it sometime soon. I kind of want to rewind back to the beginning of the show and possibly to the beginning of what you might consider your career, which is. Jeff had mentioned the PBS affiliate show that you got or booked at the age of 15. I'm curious how that might, that experience might've affected you at such a formidable young age. Yeah. You you want to know how it affected me or do you want to know how I got it? Both. Both. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, back in uh, 1985, uh, there wasn't like this giant, uh, you know, brother and sisterhood of special effects artists like there is today. And we would pen pal each other and we would read magazines and learn from each other. And, um, you know, one of the things uh, I would do is I'd read this monster magazine called Famous Monsters of Filmland. And the editor of that magazine, his name was Forrest G. Ackerman. Forrest G. Ackerman was the very first horror fan ever. He was the very first one ever. Uh, he, when, when he was a kid... He would sneak onto the back lot Universal Studios and he got to actually go on set when they were shooting Dracula with Bela Lugosi. Oh, and wow. Bela, and Bela Lugosi actually gave him a little bottle of blood that he had in his in his costume pocket at the end of the day. Gave it to him. He, he, he showed it to me. He had this little, little bottle of blood. It's like this little, little you know, it's like this little brown, like a, like a beer bottle brown with a little cork in the top of it. And uh, Bela Lugosi, <laughs> it was like, this, it was like something that was, it's exactly what you would picture Bela Lugosi walking around with a little bit of fake blood, you know, in his pocket. <laughs> and um, he, Bela Lugosi also gave him the ring that he wore on his finger. You know, when Dracula says, look into my eyes, he hypnotizes people. He's wearing this big, beautiful ring. Corey uh, had a magazine. He, 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 because he was the first horror fan, he started the first horror podcast. It was a magazine. It's called Famous Monsters of Filmland. And before he had this very successful magazine, he brought all the horror fans of the world together with this magazine. And um, he had a contest in a, an offshoot magazine called Monsterland. He was like, you know, make a special effect and win a trip to Hollywood. But you had to be 17 years or younger. And he wanted an even playing field. I was 15 at the time. And I won this national special effects makeup contest. And um, because I won that national special effects makeup contest, I had my front my, my, my picture on the front page of the San Antonio newspaper it was kind of, there were two at the time there was the san antonio express and the san antonio light i was on the front page of the paper you know over a million people in the city and and everybody knew who i was and um uh there was a man who was shooting something for pbs and he needed uh, someone to make this young young actor into an older man many different stages of, of, of getting older and he asked me if i would do it and that's how i got my first job you know at the age of 15. that's amazing that's mm-hmm. really but, cool and then how it affected me well like <laughs> I, you know, I, I got a, I got a, a two page spread in the yearbook that year. I was oh, wow. Yeah. You know, and uh, so <laughs> so you're everybody, popular. everybody at school knew what I was going to do. And, um, I, uh, I, it, it's all kinds of stuff happened. That was, uh, 
my husband says, uh, you know, I was kind of like a, a child star. And, you know, of course, uh, being a, like a child star, you know, child stars have like all this like trauma after their success. Mm-hmm. You know, me too. And I became like a, you know, wild child. I came out here to LA and, you know, got into all kinds of mischief before I kind of evened out and, and began uh, really taking my career seriously. But, uh, you know, it was good. It was fun. Um, I don't, I don't uh, regret. I don't have many regrets. Uh, I do have a couple that I would like to have changed, but if I change them, then would I be where I am today? You know, you have to, you have to look at it that way. You know, things may be different, but they may not be as good as they are, or they may, you know, just a different kind of good who knows, but exactly. uh, yeah, you know, so uh, you got to do good with the bad. Everybody's got it. Everybody's got it. just because someone looks uh, amazing on the outside doesn't mean they're not um, enjoying you know, they're, they're, they're not uh, altogether on the inside. Uh, I can't tell you how many, uh, people that I see on a regular basis out here in LA that um, you know are doing supposedly amazing, but it's just all a facade. It's like a cheap facade. It, you know, it's just like uh, a movie set. You know, the outside of the set looks amazing, and you look around the backside, and it's like cardboard and paper and plastic and you know nails and whatever. It's all a facade. You know, so there you go. Well, I'm curious who your mentors were, who you admired growing up and, and maybe this is a two-parter and do you see um, current day uh, effects artists that, that you admire that are maybe breaking some new ground? That's a good question. My mentors growing up, oh, I had, uh, I had, I had several, um, I had a chance to work with a lot of them and uh, some of them are still my mentors to this day. Never had a chance to work with Tom Savani, but he um, he definitely inspired me growing up. And you know, uh, and people have heard me share this before on other podcasts. But uh, you know, back when I was twelve years old, when I, that's the year I made my first rubber mask, I was twelve years old. And um, you know, you could uh, call four one one, and the operator would uh, uh, give you like a phone number of somebody. If, if, if their, their phone number was listed in the phone book, um, you could call and ask, give them their your their name, and then. The operator would give you their phone number if they were listed publicly and i would call you know special effects artists on the phone famous special effects artists and talk to them i could call tom on the phone and he would he would talk with me and tom would talk with me for over an hour about how he went about you know using a chemical fire extinguisher to pump blood and um he was a very kind man to me and uh, there were other special effects artists that took the time to talk with me out in los angeles um, and when I won that special effects makeup contest and I came out to LA, I got to meet some of them. And, um, but, uh, as of late, uh, you know, I, I still study, uh, still trying to improve my craft. I work with, uh, I studied, I've studied with, um, uh, Rob Berman from Berman industry or six and stones is the name of his, uh, company. And Rob's done so many amazing films. I can't even I can't even begin to tell you. There's too many to mention. Goonies and Ghostbusters and uh, Cat People and the, so, so many. And um, then, uh, of course, um, I took a, a class with Don Lanning. Don Lanning's sculpted so many of the creatures you've seen. Hellboy and um, Lost in Space and uh, just on and on and on. And, uh, and of course, uh, Brian Wade, which is... Uh, uh just a brilliant uh artist and sculptor brian uh, took the time to sit with me and uh show me some of the sculpting techniques during the pandemic actually uh brian's worked on movies like aquaman and i, mean, I just it, 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 you've seen it 
you know, the original, uh, the remake of, uh, of the thing, John Carpenter's remake of the thing. He worked on that. That's a great and, picture. Yeah. So, so, you know, these are, these are, these men have like, they don't even have to try and teach you something. If you just are in the room with them, watching them do things, you will be learning. You know, they, that's how, that's how much knowledge they, they exude, you know, as they're moving through their day, as they're moving through their craft. Yeah. So it's a real privilege to be able to, to, to study with them and work alongside them and, you know, be able to kind of live this dream out here, you know, in the same path and doing the same things they do. Is there still a special effect that you're wanting to do that you haven't had a chance to do yet? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> there's always something new, but you know, I, I, I've done a couple of werewolf films, uh, but I've never really been given the opportunity to do my own werewolf transformation correctly or my own transformation correctly. That's kind of like the, the, the one thing I've, I've always been, been desired to do. I haven't, no one's brought that to me yet. Like we're going to do this transformation here and I want to know how you want to do it, Joe. And we're going to, and then we're going to go all the way to the all old school eighties, maybe with a little bit of, of digital in there, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that. That one amazing transformation scene. We'll see what happens. It may not be a werewolf. It may be a demon. It may be a creature. Maybe something. But we're we're gonna do something. Okay. okay. I, I was gonna ask you guys if you knew if you if you had if you knew what the very first slasher movie ever made was. I feel like I've heard this answer before. There's a couple of people that have different answers, but okay. There's a, the, all the connoisseurs of 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 horror know the true the true the true answer. And Joe, I think Joe Bob Briggs actually says what it is on one of his shows but uh wow yeah. that's a tough can you can you give us a hint <laughs> it's not psycho it's pre-psycho before that no oh, wow. no, no no it's not psycho. It's, oh, it's, okay. i think it's the year after psycho oh yeah. oh man i have no idea yeah same here it's a movie called blood feast it was made in 1963 and it was directed by herschel gordon lewis and herschel was one of my mentors oh, wow. sure here you are uh it, it's it's the first movie that um involves uh a deranged killer stalking innocent victims one by one mutilating them on camera in a horrific bloody death and then at the end of the film the killer dies at the hands of the hero or heroine of the movie in an even more horrific on-screen death have you heard that formula somewhere before <laughs> <laughs> a few that's, times yeah that's that's the that's this that's the slasher formula and Herschel Gordon Lewis invented it in 1963. He directed the film. He wrote it. He he uh, shot it. He composed all the music for it, and he um, created all the special effects for it as well. And uh, he was one of my mentors uh, for uh, over a decade. Uh, he died in uh, 2016 uh, suddenly, and um, but uh, he's actually the star of uh, uh, one of the films I directed. It's called Terror Tunes Three. Uh, my husband and I own a franchise uh, called Terror Tunes, and Herschel took a really a liking to the first one, and um, uh, I just knew I had to get him in, in into it. And uh, also, I was honored to create the special effects for the sequel to Blood Feast in 2001. They made oh, wow. Blood, they made Blood Feast 2, and Herschel directed it, and um, and uh, I was able to come on board and, and do the special effects for it. So it was a real honor to create the special effects for the very for the, the, the sequel to the very first slasher movie ever made. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's very cool. 
Well, Joe, this has been a great conversation. You've done, God, you've done so much work. It's 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 been great talking to you about your inspiration and and uh, your thought process and how you do the work you do. And uh, we we just really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on the show, Jeff. Thanks for having me on the show, Andrew. I just want to take a minute to say thank you for uh, having me on the show and for do- producing podcasts, allowing artists like myself to have a place to express themselves and to uh, to reach our our audience. We really appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the Filmmaker Mixer Podcast, a podcast created and hosted by filmmakers Jeff Stolen and Andrew Lamping and produced by Jeff Weber. Our music is composed by a man born under the sign Slippery When Wet. Make sure to follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on and stay tuned for future episodes. 